This is the Becoming Spiritually Minded podcast, where your hosts, Shelby Hansen and Sabrina DeYoung, dive into a conference talk and dig out applicable principles to improve life. We are life coaches by trade and disciples of Jesus Christ. We firmly believe that it is through Jesus Christ that true peace, joy, and healing is found. The skills and tools we share complement the gospel, helping you grow closer to the Savior and in becoming more spiritually minded. Hello, and welcome back to the Becoming Spiritually Minded podcast. We've got Shelby and Sabrina here today, and we are going to dive into the talk by Elder Johnny L. Koch. It's entitled Humble to Accept and Follow. And this is actually a short talk. It's only two and a half pages. And so it's maybe a short discussion. We'll see. We kind of never know sometimes. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. So he opens up with the question from Alma chapter five, the one that says, could you say that if ye were called to die at this time within yourselves, that ye have been sufficiently humble? And I wrote, nope. <laughs> and I just love it. Like, honest. That's... She's sufficiently honest. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I feel the same. <laughs> Yeah. And he's like, okay, how many of us have really answered that? You know, and it is, you know, it's so easy to give a quick answer, right? To be like, oh yeah, sure. Or no, if you're like a little little bit more self-deprecating or, Mm -hmm. or not, I don't know. But it is, I think that, you know, humility is an ongoing process, right? I, I mean, all of, all of them are, but I think that is something that we can continually to learn to be more humble. That's definitely wrapped into the enduring to the end principle of the gospel, right? Continually seek, how can I be humble? And repenting and humility, I think also like go hand in hand, trusting in the Lord, all of those things. So we'll talk more about that. Yeah. And I love thinking about humility in two different ways. The being humble, like you were talking about it, I love thinking about it as it can be a part of your identity. Being a humble person can be an identity trait, but also we feel humble. We can actually feel it. And humble is an emotion too. And as life coaches, we love emotions. We love talking about emotions and we love talking about how to create emotions. So I like thinking about the dichotomy of humility in that it's something that I am and it's also something that I can feel. And something that I do. Exactly. Yeah. From your identity, we do it. Yeah, totally. He gives this funny story about wanting to take his wife and kids to his job so that he can show them that everyone would do exactly what I asked them to do without questioning me. <laughs> Joke's on him. <laughs> I know that he couldn't get in the gate because there was a new like security officer. He didn't have his company ID and uh, ate humble pie, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah. I love that. He's like, do you know who you're talking to? And I feel like that is, that's just one of the the questions that I think comes up when we think about people that are prideful or that we feel prideful. We're like, wait a second, you don't know who I am because if you knew who I was, you'd know that I am important. And when we think about it that way, what we're actually the underlying message is, do you know that I'm more important than other people? And that's the crux of the pride. That's a good point. Because it's not just that I'm important because we, I do want us all to believe that we're important, 
but not that second half of like, and I'm more important than somebody else. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I love this line that he says, when we choose not to be humble, we end up being humiliated. And I actually thought of, I should have looked it up, but there is a talk on Christ-like poise. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought about that and I thought of, you know, like when we throw tantrums, when we don't get our way, you know, like all of that kind of leads to like not trusting in the Lord when the Lord is still going to come in and help you. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's related to pride as well. Like, you know, there's that pride of like raising yourself up and looking down, but also like putting yourself too low and looking up. Yeah, absolutely. I remember. So my very first life coach was Jody Moore. And I remember that one of the things that I really struggled with when I was doing a lot of thought work was that I felt like I made really good decisions. And I felt like other people, if they didn't make good decisions like I did, then they were that, that somehow my unconscious thought that I was better than that person because I made quote unquote better decisions. And I didn't realize what a form of judgment that was. And it was all unconscious. I never was like, oh, I want to go around and be prideful. And I want to think that I'm better than other people. But underlying, I my when I put myself in a place of judgment of other people, I was doing that, believing that I knew better than them, that I was a little bit better than them. And I, when I really recognized that, I did not like that about myself. And it was what I recognized was, oh, this has all to do with humility. This literally is pride. And a lot of things changed for me when I was able to to step into the belief that, yes, I am amazing. I'm completely whole, lovable, wonderful, just like everyone else. Because when I saw other people on that same playing field and really like did it consciously, because again, this is just unconscious. We like You go to school and they're like, okay, these are the good kids and these are the bad kids. Like we're just taught that there's good ways and bad ways. Like these people are a little bit better because they follow the rules. These people are a little bit worse because they don't ever listen. And so that was for me where I had to start out with my journey for humility was understanding that on purpose, very consciously, I was going to decide that everybody is 100% worthy, lovable, amazing, incredible. And they had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. All of it goes back to our relationship with God because we are his children. It is our eternal birthright. That is what I would call being in the creator mindset. (laughs) Tell me more. Why do you say that? Well, okay. So the opposite is the victim mindset, right? And this is yes. a lot of, you know, the like looking from the bottom up kind of pride, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he says, actually, he says in his talk here that there's others who are very shy or have low self-esteem. They may have an outward appearance of humility, but deep inside they're full of pride sometimes, right? That's very much a victim mindset, right? Like, oh, everybody's better than me. Oh, I'm not lucky. Oh, I just like, I can't like this whole low self-esteem. But to shift out, right, is like, I, you know, other people, yeah, they may have something else and they're just as valuable as I am. I guess that's what I mean by a creator mindset. Like, yes, other people do have things that I don't have and that's okay. They are valuable. I am valuable. It's just, again, it's like putting everybody on an even playing field. Oh, I made a really good decision that worked out really well for me and somebody else didn't. They're on their own journey and I trust them that they will find their way 
Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the beauty of all of us being God's children is we have different strengths and we have different weaknesses and all of it is given to us to help build the kingdom of God. Like we all have different things. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of that. We're all here for, we're here on purpose with different talents and abilities. I love the image of like the body of Christ, as it talks about in the scriptures, you know, you don't want the eye to do the same thing that the hand does. Like all of them are very important in their own, very different and unique way. Yeah. And I think too, even in church, we can think, oh, there's like better callings than other ones. Like these, these are the callings that, you know, always nursery leader, like gets a bad rap, which like, that's my very favorite calling in the entire church. But I'm like, just call me to be a nursery leader all day. But I think that we feel like sometimes we can feel like, oh, if you have a different calling, like a more leadership calling, like that means that you're more important, that you're doing more service in God's kingdom. But he needs us wherever we are called. Mm -hmm. And the important part is like, it doesn't matter if other people see what we're doing in our homes, in our families, in our callings. It matters how, if we are living up to what what the spirit is asking us to do. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yep. And we are, we're all needed in all the different ways. And yeah. And we never know. We don't know if it's, you know, if, you, if you're in a calling to learn something oh, yeah. specifically or for you or to serve because you have certain talents and that's, you know, that is part of being humble, that willingness to submit to the Lord. Yeah, that's the that's the definition. I was so glad that he gave a definition. I feel like that's the first thing I always do with with you know with coaching. I'm like, okay, what does this word mean? Let's come up with a common definition. He says that humility from preach my gospel is a willingness to submit to the Lord. It is being teachable. I love this last part that it's the it's a vital catalyst for spiritual growth. Yeah, I I think of so many teachings that Christ taught while he was on the earth, the people that didn't receive his message, the reason that they didn't is because they didn't want to grow spiritually. They thought that they already knew what they needed to know. They weren't open to grow their capacity for more truth. Well, and they weren't open to seeing things in a different way than they expected. Exactly. They had a clear, they had an expectation of what the Messiah was going to look like and they were wrong about that. And I, you know, that's again, part of humility is like being open to not knowing, right. It's being Mm -hmm. teachable. Yeah. And, you know, I, going back to coaching too, the hardest times that I have, like if I'm getting coached or I'm coaching somebody is when they're not in a teachable mode or I'm not in a teachable mode. And how do I get in to being teachable for myself is really going into that is, is having my nervous system regulated, like being able to be in that rest and digest that rest and repair state, that aligned state, that flow state that we talk about. That's where I feel the spirit the very most. I'm not saying that I can't feel the spirit when I'm feeling fear, but, um, when I, when I'm in that aligned state, it allows me to have the mental flexibility to be taught what God is trying to teach me in that moment. And it makes the teaching stick so that they become a part of me, they become a part of my identity. So being teachable, I just think is such a wonderful attribute and even being open to who my teachers are because 
a lot of the times my teachers are my kids and we think, uh, I don't know if you think this, but I think, oh, I'm the adult. I'm supposed to teach them. But the more that I'm willing to be open and listen to them, their experiences and be taught by them, it's just, it, it connects us in a way that it couldn't happen if I was like, no, I know what you need. When I'm closed off and I'm just really like focused on what I think needs to happen, I have ceased to be humble in the relationship. I have gone into pride and I've closed myself off and my kids can tell and they shut down too. So mm. humility, I think is a key principle in order to have, to develop a really loving, connected relationship with your kids too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go into these, this pop quiz that he does. Oh. So good. So cute. <laughs> yeah. So these are things that President Nelson have have taught us and asked us mm -hmm. to do. And he's like, okay, let's see. So number one is, do we mention the full name of the church in all, all of our interactions? President Nelson has said to remove the Lord's name of the Lord's church is a major victory. Number two, are we letting the Lord prevail in our lives by accepting our prophet's very specific invitation? says, today I call upon all members everywhere to lead out in abandoning attitudes and actions of prejudice. Ooh, so good. I love that. He, I love that he added that one. Yeah. Me too. And number three, are we overcoming the world? Trusting the doctrine of Christ more than the philosophies of men as our prophet taught. Oof. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, I wanted to pause on this one because I, I thought of, you know, I think sometimes we think that we're trusting and following in the doctrines of Christ more than the philosophies of men. And what came to my mind is just fully trying to trust rather than trying to make sense of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's kind of yes. where we can sometimes get caught up in the philosophies of men is when we're trying too hard to make sense of the doctrine of Christ, right? Too hard trying to like fit it in to our own box. And I think that's when it starts to get wonky or turn into the philosophies of men. I think so too. And I do think that we, we do try to put God in a box. We try to say, oh, this is what God thinks. And this is what he doesn't think. And we have prophets to tell us that, but I mm -hmm. think that I think that our heavenly father is just so much more abundant and loving and generous and gracious than we could ever truly understand and imagine. And overcoming the world is really understanding. Let's, let's dive into the doctrines. Let's really know our scriptures. I have mm -hmm. a friend that we just went and saw the chosen in the theaters yesterday. She's not of our faith, but she was talking about how much she wanted to just learn scripture, have memorized scripture so that she could say it at a moment's notice. And I love that because it, it, I, there was a there was a general conference talk forever ago that talked about how memorizing scriptures were like carrying pockets of light with you. Do you remember that one? It was, oh, no, I love that's that so one. Cute. I know. Like, yes, you just get to carry that with you. So yeah, Tony, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. And then number four is, have we become peacemakers saying positive things to and about people? President Nelson has taught us that if there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy that we can say about another person, whether to his face or behind his, her back, that should be our standard of communication. And I've, of course, I love President Nelson's definition of what a, a peacemaker is. Yeah. But I also know that the term peacemaker has kind of 
there's kind of become like kind of a charged, like a negative charge to it, I guess, where a lot of people have, okay, let me, how do I say this? I feel like since people have had their eyes open to what being a people pleaser is, it has kind of given peacemaker a bad reputation because a lot of humans, a lot of women, <laughs> I guess yeah. men too, especially yeah. have taken the term peacemaker all their lives and then just like turned it into like, I put myself last, you know, I try to like please others because that's what I'm like supposed to do, yes. you know? And I know that you recently did a people pleasers webinar. And mm -hmm. so I would love to hear what you have to say. Like, how do you think it's different between being a peacemaker and a people pleaser and how peacemaker is like, yes, continue to be a peacemaker, but what does that look like in the context of not a destructive people pleaser pattern? Totally. Yes. I love this. So I was referring a little bit earlier to the nervous system. And essentially what I mean by that is that when we sense a threat, we will go into a fight or flight response. Everybody's kind of familiar with that, but there's another response called fawning, which is also people pleasing. And essentially people pleasing happens when you, when it's, it's a social response to a threat. And it's a way that we say no to ourselves in order to say yes to other people. Like you said, people pleasing is I am going to sacrifice everything of myself so that everyone else around me could be happy. And the problem with it is that it puts us in a fear state and mm -hmm. we are told in doctrine, do not fear, fear not. Why are you afraid? Like all of these things are, are, are written throughout the scriptures when we do actions from a place of fear, it actually has detrimental effects on our bodies. If you stay in a fawn response for too long, it can, it can impact blood pressure. It can impact your energy levels. It can impact like just like cellular generation, like all of these things. So it not only does it disrupt relationships because it's inauthentic, because we're not mm -hmm. actually telling people what we want so that we can actually be connected with them, but it has physical consequences. In contrast to being a peacemaker, what I would say is that some of the actions that you would take to be a people pleaser are the same exact ones that you would take to be a, a peacemaker. The only difference is the motivation. The only difference is the energy behind it. With people pleasing, we're seeing other people as dangerous. And we got to fix that problem. When you are a peacemaker, you're seeing other people from a loving lens. You're seeing them as children of God and seeing them as somebody that you want to serve from a place of love, from a place of overflow. Rather than taking away from yourself, you filled up yourself so that you have the spirit. So you're in that aligned place where you can get spiritual direction to know where you need to be in order to create that peace. So the simplest way is, am I operate? The simplest question to ask yourself is, am I operating out of fear or am I operating out of love and true desire from myself? Oh, I love all of that. And I'm like, that also very much shows like the victim versus creator mindset. Right. Yes. And I also shows like, okay, see how people pleasing has this false or counterfeit humility, even in it. Yes. Right. And it's like, it's so clear to me, like this contrast of like Satan's way fought the father's way. 
right? Like this, you know, counterfeit humility, which causes fear and resentment and, you know, thinking that you're a victim and you're just like trying to control and manipulate Yes. versus the peacemaker version of through love and abundance. And I love how you said overflow. I love that term. Yeah. It's like so interesting to contrast those two and everything, how you explain that. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm, I am totally obsessed with it. I didn't realize all, I, cause I think in our heads, we think about people pleasers and we're like, oh yeah, they're just the person that like everybody says yes to no matter like they say yes to everybody, no matter what they're asking. We're like, oh, I'm not a people pleaser. Like I say no to people, but then like, are you taking over responsibility for your kids and their happiness? Mm-hmm. That's a people pleasing behavior. Are you thinking that you're responsible for whether your kids are happy or not? You're not. Like we yeah. can't create that. We can be loving and and kind, but being a people pleaser, trying to get them to be happy is actually manipulative, manipulative, just like you were saying. And that doesn't create that cr- that true connection that they're seeking and we're seeking too. Yeah. I think that one other difference between people pleasing and peacemakering is honesty. Yes. You know, a peacemaker 100%. is going to be honest. They're going to be honest about, you know, their bandwidth and capacity and, yes. and being honest with love right? It always has, has love behind it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Okay. So he talks about the, the people of Moses and how all they had to do to be healed was to look up at the, at the brass serpent. And he says, but because of the simpleness of the way or the easiness of it, there were many who perished. And, you know, we've brought up over and over in these discussions of how the gospel is actually really simple. Yes. And it's like, let's quit overthinking it. Can we quit overthinking? Because that yeah. overthinking like gets in the way of being humble. It gets in the way of trusting in the Lord. Mm-hmm. That overthinking like puts us into this, you know, into a panic, into a tantrum, into pride, into a why me, poor me. You know, it takes us away from this idea of poise that I really like. <laughs> yeah. I just, I love this. I talked, I have another friend that I talked to and we were like, thinking about what we wanted to do with our businesses. And as we were looking at it, we were like, why can't we just do these things? It's just, that's so easy. She's like, yeah, let's just let it be easy. And that is one of the things that I have really dove into is let's do things that are easy because think about it. When you hear the spirits prompting and you listen the first time, it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's so easy because we know that that's where God wants us to be. But sometimes we hear a prompting, we're like, oh, but like, I have these things that I've got to do. And like, this is, it's just too much. Then we find out later why we should have listened to that prompting and it's actually harder. So heavenly father is always wanting to communicate with us. If you're having a hard time hearing his communication, again, dive into his word. That's how we overcome the world. Dive into his word, talk to people that are living the way that you want to be living with the spirit. And that's going to help you in order to make it more easy for yourself, like the day-to-day. Yeah. I love that you started that with dive into his word, right? Follow him first. Seek, you know, revelation, follow the spirit. And that's easy. In this next paragraph down, he talks about how, well, he calls out motivational speakers, writers, coaches, influencers around the world, especially on digital, on digital platforms that will say everything depends solely on us and our actions and 
the, he says like the world believes in the arm of flesh. And I have felt this, you know, yeah. I have, I, there was a point like when I first found life coaching, and I think this is why I'm so passionate about this particular project, but there was a point where I'd found life coaching and I learned like, you know, all these like systematic tools to help me like get my brain in a place where I can be so much more effective, right? Yes. Like reach my <laughs> goals and, you know, heal from past trauma. And, you know, I had huge results and life changes and, and then had the thought, like, why do I need Jesus mm-hmm. if I need these tools? Right. And I just, it was like, it was a short period, but there was a time when I was like, I don't know that, that I need the gospel as much as I did before, because now I'm getting results. Whereas before, you know, before this, when I just had the gospel and I was just like clinging to it for life, but from a victim mindset, I wasn't really moving anywhere. And then I, you know, done, did more research and put the two together. And then it was like rocket fuel, right? Even more, (laughs) even better results and more changes and a stronger connection with the Lord and creating a co-creation with God. And yeah, listening to like the voices of the world and all of that, it only gets you so far. Yeah. And and it does, like you can get to a point, right? Like the, there are true principles that are taught without the gospel and that can get you to a point, but we are here for the long, long, long game, right? Mm-hmm. Christ has promised us eternal life and we cannot do that without him. Yeah. A hundred percent. When I was in high school, I wasn't surrounded by a lot of members of our church and we were studying all sorts of world religions for a humanities class. And I loved it. There was, I was obsessed with some parts of it. There were, especially like Buddhism. I was like, oh, there's these eight steps, like, you know, right action, right words, like all these right things. I'm like, this, this is great. Like this, I really, really love what I'm learning and it's making so much sense. And I can have such changes from this. And I was like, am I Buddhist <laughs> for a little while? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then I, as I was thinking about it, I, I can't, I, in studying really a lot about it, I thought, wait a second, like there's something missing here. And, you know, in my 11th, you know, how old was I? Maybe like 16 year old brain. I was like, oh wait, there's no Jesus. Like all of this is saying that all like my salvation is on me. Like Mm -hmm. I have to do everything. And it felt so, I was like, there's something missing. It feels kind of empty. And I was like, oh, it's my savior. Like I need him too. I need what he has offered. And I also learned in that moment, and this is something that served me through my whole life, is that truth is truth no matter where you find it. You will find truth in so many different areas. And I loved the truths that I found studying all of those world religions. But the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ's atonement is there to help me to become a better, more aligned version of myself, that felt the most true. And it mm-hmm. just, my soul just expanded. I love that that Elder Coke, he says, We've learned that we greatly depend on Heavenly Father's benevolence and the atonement of our Savior, Jesus Christ, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And that part just resonated so strongly with me that I have a Savior. I have an older brother 
who is benevolent and taking care of me and has gone through the greatest sacrifices for me. And when I build my life on that, my results in my life are amazing, but it's Mm -hmm. understanding that it's not just all on me. Like we're co-creating with deity. We're co-creating with our heavenly father. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love that idea of co-creating with him. And that's what we do when we make covenants. Mm -hmm. We are doing it together. We're forming that relationship with him. And I do love how Byron Katie talks about there's three kinds of business. Have you heard this before? You probably know, you know her. So, but essentially it's just that we get into trouble and we create suffering for ourselves when we are in other people's business. So she says, there's three kinds of business, our business, like my business, other people's business and God's business. And God's business is so good. It's one of the things that I love to teach with my clients is God's business is always going to be for our best interest. And simply believing that it has eternal consequences that happen in our lives day to day. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. I love Elder how Elder Coke says that, you know, when we make and renew covenants, we recognize our dependence on our Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ. That will invite their power into our lives to help us through all our problems, all our problems, <laughs> and ultimately fulfill the measure of our creation. So beautiful. So good. I love that at the end, then he like talks about, he mirrors the story again, mm-hmm. where now he's in a taxi cab and he's like worried because he's got to go on an airplane to go, what did he, a difficult, a very difficult situation to solve. And he feels like he's the only one that can solve it. He's got to take care of the problem. And the taxi driver's like, hey, you like are not looking okay. Are you all right? You have and a dark halo, a negative a halo. Negative halo around you. <laughs> and <laughs> the taxi driver asks him, have you done everything in your power to solve this? And he says, yes, I could. I did. And then he said something I've never forgotten. So leave this in God's hands and everything will work out fine. And he says that he was tempted to ask him, do you know who I am? Again, (laughs) again, you know who you're talking to. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful because again, looking to be taught by anybody that's around you, whether it's a taxi cab driver or whoever is in your path that, Hey, you've done your best. You've done what was within your business. Now it's time to leave it in God's hands and it will become God's business. And the funny part is by the time he gets to this new place, to the place where he's got to solve this difficult situation, it's already resolved. And I think that has such implications for us because I think that we get into our pride thinking, I've got to solve this. I'm the one that's going to fix this. I'm so important. Nobody else could fix this problem. That's where we get into the people pleasing too. Instead of trusting other people that they know what they need to do and trusting that God will help to actually solve the issues. We take care of us and we allow people to take care of themselves. We support them and then have trust that God will make it work out in the best way possible for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. It's one of these last lines that says only God in Jesus Christ can transform us. Yes. And you know, I thought of 
when I read that and I thought back to, you know, this other part here that we talked about with the speakers and the coaches and the influencers and, and how I mentioned, like, I felt like I was, you know, moving forward on my own through these tools, but ultimately it was never on my own. You know, even if I wasn't paying attention to God, right. Even anyone who's not paying attention to God and thinking that they're doing things on their own, it's still Jesus Christ that is transforming us. It is still through the power of the atonement that we're able to make changes, that we're able to move forward. And to me, it feels so much better to accept that and offer gratitude for the transformation that he is allowing me to have. And then, you know, more transformation happens and it's wonderful. I love that so much. Yes. It's all about the transformation. And I think that that has been such a topic throughout so many of the conference talks this past time is the enabling power of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and atonement to completely transform our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect spot to end it on. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good week, everyone.